Hi, my name's Alyssa. Thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace, we have a mission and a purpose. Our goal is to help people discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, and deploy for others. If you're looking for a church, we would love for you to come be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. Check out ohiograce.com for a list of campuses and service times in your area. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you here next week at Grace. We are in our 14th week in the study of the book of John. Have you guys been enjoying the series? No? Okay. All right. Good, good. I think, um, I think the reason why, like for me personally, I really like doing a series like this where we take a book or we take something like this and we just kind of go from beginning to end. We take a story. We go through it from beginning to end. It's because that's what it is. It's a story, right? And I think somewhere deep inside, we all love stories. We like to hear stories. We like to tell stories. Um, think about it. That's the reason why when you tuck your kids into bed at night, what do they want to hear? They want to hear or they want you to read them a story. Okay, it's the reason why when you haven't seen a friend for a long time and you're catching up either on the phone or maybe you see him in person or whatever, what are you guys doing? You're catching up on life and you're telling each other stories. That's why when you go into Paulette's at uh, early on Saturday morning, what do you got? A bunch of old men sitting around the table telling stories. Okay, that's, uh, there's just something about it that we really like. Think about all the money we spend on a yearly basis just on stories. There are subscriptions and TV and movies and just all that stuff. We like story. And so today, um, what we're going to do is we are looking at a small portion of the overall story, and we are going to just, uh, for me, I, I, like today, it's going to be a little different. I don't have um, all these insights on, hey, this is how this should change our life today, or, or hey, here's three steps on how to become a better Christian. I don't have anything like that for you today. Today, what I want to do is simply tell you the story. And I feel like this portion of the story is something that just speaks for itself. And almost like, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm getting in the way of the story. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. Are you guys with me? Okay, let's just go through this section. Um, we'll be finishing this story in just a couple of weeks. But uh, we left off where Jesus, he has made his way back to Jerusalem for the very last time. And his disciples don't know that, but Jesus does. And uh, in Jerusalem, he's got a bunch of enemies. He's got a bunch of powerful people that want him dead. And there's this huge event going on in Jerusalem. It's the Passover festival. It's a seven-day, or actually technically eight-day-long um, event, eight-day-long festival, where scholars say over a million people would descend upon Jerusalem for this week. And so Jerusalem is packed. There's crowds everywhere. There's rumors going around the crowds of, hey, maybe this Jesus guy, this rabbi from Galilee, whoever that guy is, maybe he's coming to Jerusalem. We'll get to see some of his tricks. We'll get to see some of his magic stuff, you know, that all this stuff that he's doing. We, they, they just had people everywhere who wanted to hear what Jesus had to say because the things that Jesus was saying was things that they had never heard before. And they wanted to see all these things that Jesus was doing because all the things that Jesus was doing was stuff that they had never seen before. And so rumors going around and eventually Jesus shows up. We call this Palm Sunday. And the crowd celebrates. It's actually kind of what we're celebrating today. All right, today's Palm Sunday. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and the crowds are going wild, and the people are going crazy, and they're so pumped because they think Jesus is there to, to overthrow Rome and to put Israel back on the map. And so for most of the week, Jesus spends, he's out, uh, he's out in the streets, he's out in the temple, he's teaching the people, he's with the people. And, uh, but on Thursday night, 
Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, you guys need to get ready for the Passover meal. All right, it's part of this week-long festival. And so they find kind of a private up, upstairs, second-story room, and they all go up there, and they're there for the meal. And if you remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus begins the night by serving his disciples. And as soon as they're finished eating, Judas, this is the time when Judas, he leaves out into the night to go betray Jesus for some cash. And the rest of the disciples, they don't understand why Jesus left, Judas left. Actually, they think that uh, Judas is probably running some errand uh, for Jesus, which happened, you know, often, I'm sure. And so Jesus, he gathers together, after Judas is gone, he gathers together his now 11 guys for one last lesson and one last talk. And what he does here is so important. Because he condenses 613 commandments in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. He condenses it down to not 100, not his top 50 or top 10, not even two, but down to one. And if you remember, he says, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to love one another. You don't know what's about to happen in just a few short hours, but I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And what he could have said is, I want you to love one another like I am about to love you. Because I don't think at this point his disciples understand the entirety of exactly what Jesus is saying yet. And so Jesus stops and he explains to them that. And then he prays for himself. Remember, we talked about this last week. He doesn't just pray for himself and what he's about to go through. Uh, he also prays for his disciples because they're about to go through a lot of stuff too. And, uh, and not only does he pray for the disciples, but he also prays for you. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about 2,000 years ago? He was thinking about and praying for you and for me, for those of us who have given our lives over to him. And he prays for us. That brings us to chapter 18 which starts off like this. This is after Jesus had said these things, after he had taught them this, after he had had his last talk, after he had prayed for him, it says he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. Now, you gotta understand, like, Jerusalem is up, built up top, on top of a hill, and then kind of the next hill over is the Mount of Olives, and in between is kind of this little, like, valley. And so they cross, they leave Jerusalem, they walk out, they cross the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. Now, this garden was a place that they had been to before. They had been to actually often, probably. And, uh, and he and his disciples, they went into it, right? And the disciples, at this point, they know something's up. Right, they just don't know what's going on. And so they're all wondering, I'm sure, like, okay, why aren't we going back to Bethany? We should be going to bed now. It's like, it's super late. Like, what's Jesus doing? Why, why are we going into this garden to pray? Okay. Um, they're probably wondering, where, where's Judas? Like, we expected Judas to be back by now. They don't know what's about to happen. Now, remember that John, who's writing this, he's one of these guys. Okay. So this is eyewitness account. John is there, but he's not the only guy who wrote about this night. There's also another guy named Matthew, and maybe even Mark, but we know Matthew is also there as well. And he gives us the same story with just some different details. This is what Matthew says. He says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Okay, this, that's the name of the garden. And he told the disciples, he says, hey guys, I want you to sit here while I go over there and pray. And then Matthew says, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, the guy who's we've been studying for 14 weeks now. He says, taking along Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. All right? Think about that just for a second here. All right? God of the universe, who created everything with just words. Right? It took him no effort. He created everything with just words. Is 
at this point in time, he is sorrowful and troubled. He is in pain, and he knows what's about to happen. Right? And so there he is. And so he turns to, to Peter, James, and John. He says, man, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. He says, remain here and please stay awake with me. Basically, what he does is he turns to his boys and he says, hey, man, I feel like I am going to die. Like, that's how sad I am. He knows that he's about to become sin. Here's God of the universe. He's about to become sin and take the full wrath of God. And he wants his disciples nearby. And he wants them with him. That night. And so he prays. It says he fell face down and prayed. All right, that just got me thinking this week is we all don't have perfect lives, right? All right, right. Some of you guys do, okay? That's cool, all right? Jerks. No, we all hate you. No. Um, But we all have, none of us have perfect lives. We all have trouble that enters our life. And so it's just interesting to me. Here's Jesus. I mean, here's God, right? He comes down. He has trouble that enters his life. What's his, like, what does he do? What's his reaction? What's his response when he has a bad situation in his life? He prays, right? Like, that's his go-to, right? We see this all throughout his ministry through the last three years. I mean, he, that's what he does. He goes to God. And think about it. Jesus is God. Like, kind of hard to understand. He's 100% God. How much more do we need it? Like, if he does that, we should really need that. And, and so he falls down on his face, and he prays. He says, my father, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Basically, he comes down, and, and Luke tells us this is the point where he actually sweats, sweats blood, which is actually a medical thing, right? It happens, right? When people are in an extreme stressful situation, you can actually start stressing, or you can actually start sweating blood. And so Jesus falls down on the ground and prays. And basically what he prays here is he says, God, if there is any other way, right? If it is possible, please, 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 please let this cup pass from me. Please, 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 let's do it that other way. Like if there's some plan B, let's go with plan B because this seems like an awful waste of my blood just to go if there's another plan. See, I feel like we talk to a lot of people out there, like most people in general is like, you know, semi-pro Jesus. Like, okay, yeah, I'm good with Jesus. I'm cool with Jesus. We, people, you know, just even society, it's like, yeah, Jesus is a good guy. You know, he said some good things. He helped people. Pretty nice, you know, that type of thing. The issue people have with Jesus is not that he was a nice guy, right? The issue that people have with Jesus is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what rubs people the wrong way. That's what bothers people. By the way, Jesus said that himself. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in John 14, remember? Where Jesus says, I am the way. Right? He doesn't say he's a way. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, I'm one of the ways. He says, no, 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 I am the way. I am the only way. By the way, when he says that, you know what that means logically? And this is what we don't like to think about. That means logically all other beliefs and all other religions are lies. That's what it means. See, we don't like that. That like, I don't know, there's just something about that. I think it's because of our culture. Like, we grow up this way. We're just like, ah, I don't want to say that, you know. Um, that's not inclusive enough 
for us. And it is. It's very, it's very inclusive in that sense, or it's very exclusive in that sense, but it's inclusive in the sense that he invites everybody to come to him. See, society tells us the opposite. Society says, nah, 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 nah. All religions are basically the same thing. Our religions, they worship the same God. It's like, you know, same God, different names. And so, you know, that's cool. You just do what you want to do. But Jesus, I mean, look what he says here. Like, think about this logically. This is what we don't think about. It's like Jesus is saying here, praying to God, the Father. He's saying, hey, man, if society in 2023 America is right, and I'm just, you know, one of the many paths to heaven, then what Jesus is literally saying here is he's saying, then let's do one of those other paths. Then we have enough paths. Let's just, let's just count on those. Like, if it's just obey the Ten Commandments and you can go to heaven and it's all good, he's like, well, then let's just do it that way. All right, if it's just be a good person, and if you're a good kind of outweighs your bad, you know, then, then let's, do, let's do that way. That sounds pretty good to me. Or if it's just go to church, you know, every week, then, then let's do that. It's Jesus saying, if there is any other way, one other way, let's do that way. But there wasn't. And there's not. This is it. The only way to save mankind, listen to me, the only way to save mankind is someone without sin had to voluntarily take the punishment for sin. By the way, that includes, that discludes, what's the word? I don't know. That excludes, that's it. That excludes all of us, right? Because we're all sinners. Because we all have sin. Jesus was the only one who could do that. And so Jesus prays. Eventually, he gets up to talk to Peter, James, and John, and he walks over to him, and uh, Mark says they're like just a stone throw away, so not that far, and he walks over to him in this garden, and, and he finds him sleeping, right? So he wakes him up. He's like, guys, 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 like out of all the nights, out of all the nights we ever spent together, like I need you tonight. Like I need you guys to stay awake. I need you to pray, and you know what they're doing? They're like, oh, no, Jesus, I was praying. It just looked like, you know, like you'd be faking that too, like I promise I was praying, not sleeping, you know, and so, no, Jesus is like, no, you're sleeping, all right, I need you guys, I need you guys to pray for, with me tonight, can't you just pray for like an hour, I'm only asking for an hour here, and they're like, oh yeah, we got you, Jesus, I'm praying, you know, and so Jesus walks back over, he starts, he starts praying by, by himself again, he does that three different times, three different times, he comes back to him. he finds them asleep, Mark says that, uh, that their eyes are just so heavy, they just can't keep them open, okay, we've all experienced that before, and at the third time, Jesus basically wakes him up and says, hey, get up, because it's about ready to go down here. And Mark tells us they didn't know what to say. They're like embarrassed and slightly ashamed. I mean, it's the third time Jesus caught them sleeping. And, um, and, and so Jesus, as he's waking them up, he can see in the garden, you can actually go to this place today. I mean, you could see it. Um, just a few hundred yards away, you can see the east gate of Jerusalem that's up, up the hill a little bit, across the Kidron Valley, up the hill a little bit. And uh, he sees a group of people coming their way. And as Jesus is still talking, as he's still waking his disciples up, Judas shows up. And there's a crowd following him. And the crowd's got swords, the crowd's got clubs, got torches in their hands. And Jesus is actually the one that initiates the conversation. It says, then Jesus, obviously knowing everything that was about to happen to him, he went out and he said to him, he says, hey, who is it that you guys are looking for? Who are you seeking? And they're like, I don't know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. And then he looks at them and he says, I am he. Now the thing you got to understand here is that Jesus, notice he doesn't say, oh, I'm the guy. Well, I'm Jesus. He doesn't say that. He's, I'm the one you're looking for. No, he says, 
I am he. And what he's doing here is he's actually referring to the name of God. Okay, you got to go back 2,000 years before in the book of Exodus. What we see is you got uh, this guy named Moses. He's like a shepherd. He's like doing his thing. And uh, God goes, actually, Moses looks up on this mountain. There's like, you guys know the story? There's like a bush that's burning, but it's not burning. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And what dude's not going to go check that out? You know? And so he like climbs up. He's like, dude, this is crazy. This is sweet. And so he walks up. There's this bush. It's burning, but not burning. And then God starts talking to him like through the bush. And so Moses is there, and, there and, and God's like, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Egypt where we got my Jewish people. They're, they're slaves there. I want you to go free them. I'm going to use you to free them. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be crazy. And so Moses, he's like, uh, <laughs> nah, I don't think so. All right? He's like, you got the wrong guy. God, I'm, I'm not the guy to do it. I can't talk. He's got all these excuses as to why he can't do it. And God's just like batting him down like right and left. And then eventually Moses, he's like, okay, so, so let's say I go do this. What if they're like, so which guy sent you? What am I supposed to, what's your name? All right, what am I supposed to tell you? Like, are you the, the bush God? You know, like, what, what, what do you want me to say? And God says, no, no, you tell him this. I am who I am. And so 2,000 years later, here is God standing here before this mob, before this crowd, and he's saying, I am who I am. And he's done this actually before. The last time he did this, the religious leaders, they tried to kill him on the spot because they knew exactly what he was doing. He's using the name of God. And so these guys are like, hey, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, well, perfect, because you found him. I am he. And John tells us that when Jesus says, I am he, he says, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Can you imagine that for a second? I mean, there's the, he says that with power, all right? Remember, by the way, I mean, and here's Jesus. He's in front of this crowd. They fall down when he says, I am he. You know why? Because his words have power. This isn't some, like, you know, weak Jesus, like some helpless martyr that nothing he could do, you know, there's nothing he could do. They got him. He's stuck. You know, no, this is the all-powerful power, Lord of the universe that allowed these guys to arrest him. By the way, just like these guys fell, you will too someday. You will. There's really two options with Jesus. Either you can bow or you can bow. All right, those are your only two options. It's really the timing that matters. See, if you decide to surrender your life to Jesus now, you know what he does? He takes on your sin debt, the sin debt that you owe, because he has to, he's perfectly righteous. He has to punish sin. That's what he has to do. That's what a righteous judge would do. And you know what he does with that? He flat out pays for it. All right, he paid for it on the cross, which is what he's about to do. But if you're stubborn... Right? Like a lot of people are. And you, you're like, no, nah, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus guy. I want to live my own life. And I think a lot of times the reason why people reject Jesus is just because they want control. <laughs> as if they could even have, as if they were even in control of their life. You know, we're not in control. But it's, it's like we want the feeling of control. And so we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I can promise you, right, like if you die without surrendering to Jesus, you will bow. And then you will pay for your own sin in a place called hell. That's what Jesus taught us. That's what Jesus says. Hey, you can believe whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. You can have whatever feelings you want. It doesn't matter. That's reality. So these guys fall. Again, not willingly, but because of the power in Jesus' words. And as they begin to stand back up, Jesus, he asks them again. He says, okay, um, 
who is it that you're seeking again? And they're like, um, sir, sir, Jesus of, of, of Nazareth, sir. I'm sure it's more like that a little bit more this time. You know, like, if, you, if you're, if you're in, interested or if you would, would you please follow us? And he says, I told you already. I'm the guy. I am. He gets it again. I am he. And so if you're looking for me, I want you to let these men go. And the men that he's referring to, these are the disciples, guys like John, who's writing this for us. Now, at this point, Peter, he's standing there, and he's like, uh-uh. And so Peter, right, who had a sword, he drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, and he cut off his right ear. Now, cutting off someone's ear, that's respectable, okay? I knew a guy once that went elk hunting, and he cut off an elk's ear with a bow and arrow, which is very hard to do, all right? A couple years ago, that guy was really good at hunting, and uh, that was me. No, no, you guys know that. Um, remember, I shot that elk's ear. Hard to do. Okay? Very hard to do and very respectable. Something I could not do twice, I don't think. Well, maybe. No. But, um, no. but here, Peter, <laughs> this is not a move. All right? This is not a cool move at all. This is, this is Peter. He's, uh, you remember a couple hours before what, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, what, G, what Jesus tells Peter. They're in that second story room. They're all standing there. Remember what Peter's saying? He's like, <laughs> Jesus says, hey, one of you guys are going to betray me. He's referring to Judas. And Peter's like, Psh. <laughs> one of these guys. He's like, I would never do that. All right, I'm Peter. All right, and then he still looks at all the guys at the room, at the table, and he says, even if all these fall away, ain't no way I'm going to fall away. I'm with you. I'm ride or die, Jesus. I will give my life for you. I'm willing to do that. And Peter, remember what Jesus says? He looks at Peter, and he's like, dude, <laughs> before tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me that you even know who I am, not once, not twice, but actually three different times. And so my guess is that in this moment, Peter's like, oh, this is it. Now these guys are trying to arrest Jesus. This is the moment that Jesus thinks I'm going to let him down. And he's like, no way. And so he attacks the guy. He cuts off the guy's ear. And, uh, and again, this is, not a, this is not a how you win a life or death fight by cutting off an ear. Like this, this is just not how you do it. It's not a move. He's clearly going for the guy's head. He just misses. Sounds like somebody else I know. Okay. And so at that, Jesus said to Peter, he says, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so Luke tells us, because Luke's all into this blood and stuff because he's a doctor, that Jesus, he reaches out, he touches this dude's ear, or what, where, where the ear was, or maybe he picks the ear up and he sets it back on his head. And the guy's completely healed instantly. Now, I don't know about you, but I was just thinking this week, like, if my ear gets cut off and some guy reaches down, picks it up, and puts it back on my head and is back to normal, I would feel like I should probably switch sides. You know what I mean? Like, like I would feel obligated to, um, to, you know, no matter how much I hated this guy, I just feel obligated, like, I should probably switch teams here because he fixed my ear. But that doesn't happen. Even so, it says, the company of soldiers and the commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus and they tied him up. Next verse. We find out that uh, Matthew says, then all the disciples deserted him, and they all ran away. So at this point, Jesus is now abandoned by his friends, all of his friends. He's alone. He's been betrayed by one of his own guys. And so this angry crowd, they take Jesus to, the, to a religious leader's house named Annas. And um, Annas, he's a priest. 
He's a super powerful guy. He's a relative to the high priest. And Peter and John, they kind of follow at a distance. They don't want to be caught. They're kind of scared. Right? They don't want to be in, in the middle of all this. And then Mark tells us that all the top religious leaders, they were there waiting for Jesus. And they're all giddy about it. They've never been able to separate Jesus from his crowd before. They've never been able to separate Jesus from his followers before. And they are pumped. Like they finally have him. And so they have this rig trial in the middle of the night, right? And, uh, and they're, they have all these guys accusing Jesus. And then John has some connections. And so John gets Peter into the courtyard area where they can kind of see Jesus inside the house and kind of get a better idea of what's going on. I think John actually gets to go in the house a little bit to see. But, uh, but Peter, he's out there in the courtyard and he's trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And it's cold and there's a fire going. So he goes and he warms himself up by the fire where there's some other people. And the servant girl comes walking up to him. This is like a middle school girl. And she's like, hey, man, aren't you, didn't I see you with Jesus one time? Like, like aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no way. <laughs> Never heard of that guy. Who are you talking about? Jesus, Jesus who? And he completely denies that he even knows him. In the meantime, you got Jesus. He's on the inside. And the high priest is questioning Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And they, they're just peppering Jesus with all these questions. And first you got Annas, and then the high priest gets there. His name's Caiaphas, and he starts questioning Jesus. And Jesus refuses to answer any of the questions, which is so, so frustrating to these guys. And so finally the high priest, he stands up, and he's just like, uh, he just says, hey, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? He's talking to Jesus. But Jesus kept silent. He didn't play their games, and he did not answer. And so again, the high priest questioned Jesus. They said, he said, are you the Messiah, All right, the son of the blessed one? Like, this is, the, this is the main question. Like, this is the one question that they needed to, him to answer. Like, if Jesus answers this question wrong, that's all the evidence that they need to sentence him to death. And so Jesus, he looked up at them, and he answered them. He says, I am. And when the chief priests and all these powerful religious guys, religious leaders, when they hear this, this bugs their, you know, this, this ticks them off. They start ripping their clothes. All right, they're just like, this is it. Do we need any more evidence? He has said it himself. He is saying he is God. And so they take Jesus, they blindfold him, and the soldiers are there, and they start punching Jesus in the face, and they're mocking him. They're saying, okay, Jesus, all right, they, they hit him, and they're like, all right, tell us who hit you, okay? Why don't you prophesy? If you're God, then you should tell us who hit you. And they're spitting in Jesus's face. In the meantime, we got Peter, right? He's still outside, and the you know, it's freezing out there, and he's at the fire, and he probably realizes he can hear the, the yells and the shouts and stuff and the commotion going on inside. He realizes things are not going very well in there. And so in the meantime, there's, a, there's two more people that end up coming up to Peter, and they're like, hey, aren't you one of them? Hey, your accent is from Galilee, and so you have, I mean, Jesus, he's from Galilee. You must be one of those. You must be one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? And both times, Peter's like, I never know the guy. I've never met the guy. I don't know the guy. And he even starts cursing, saying, hey, get out of my face. I don't know who you're talking about. And at that moment, somewhere nearby, he hears a rooster crow. And Peter remembers exactly what Jesus had told him just a few hours before that. By the time the rooster crows in the morning, he's going to have denied him up to three times. And at that moment, what we find out, the Bible tells us, is that Peter, he looks into the house. And there's either like a window or an opening or something. And Jesus glances back. And they make eye contact. And Jesus gives them a look. I mean, can you imagine that look? 
Peter knows exactly what he's just done. And Peter runs away, and he leaves. He can't take it anymore. At this point, it's early morning. Nobody has slept that night. Everything seems to be going to the plan of the religious leaders. I mean, they got Jesus. He's separated from his disciples. The crowds don't even know what's going on. They only have, they've already condemned him to death. They only have one problem is that they can't, they can't exercise that. They can't actually execute him. Only Rome can execute people, and Rome owns the world at this point. And so they lead Jesus right, from Caiaphas' house to the governor's headquarters, And it was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. I mean, these guys, just think about this for a second. Let me explain this. Um, Here's these guys. They um, were considered ceremonially clean. Because it's Passover week, and there's a big thing the next day on Saturday. They needed to stay ceremonially clean, and uh, which was a big old process to do that. And so if they went into their belief, what their thinking was, if they went into a, a Gentile's house, and Pilate is obviously not a Jew, he's a Roman guy. If they go into his house, that would make them ceremonially unclean. And so they're so worried about what it looks like on the outside. They're so worried about the outside while they are condemning Jesus who's innocent to death. I mean, you see the hypocrisy here? Like, we get that? Okay. And so Pilate has to come out to them because they won't come in to him. And Pilate, um, again, he's, he's a Roman governor. He, he was the one in charge of this territory. And Pilate hated the Jews. He hated the Jews. In fact, he's only in Jerusalem because it's the festival, and, uh, and there's an extra million people there. So he's there with his soldiers just to keep the peace, so there's no uprisings or anything like that. And so Pilate, he hates the Jews. In fact, his house was on the Mediterranean Sea on the coast because he didn't want to be near Jerusalem. Even this is his main territory, and this is his main city. And so here it is early in the morning. Some servant comes running up to, up to Pilate and saying, hey, man, you got a bunch of, you got a crowd outside. The religious leaders, they want to see you. They're asking for you. And he's just like... You've got to be kidding me. We, only, we almost made it through the week, okay? And so he rolls his eyes. He goes out there, and he says, okay, what are you guys doing? Uh, what charge do you bring against this man? What has he done? And they answered him. They say, hey, if this man weren't a criminal pilot, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. I mean, what are they saying? They're basically saying, don't worry about the details here. Just trust us. This guy, Jesus, he's bad news. You could, you could trust us. And I bet at that moment, Pilate knows something is up. And so he says, all right, well, then you. By the way, he knows when he says this, they can't do anything without his approval. He says, why don't you guys take him and you judge him according to your law. Again, he knows they can't do that. And then he, this is sweet to his ears, all right, just hearing this, they say, okay, as he jabs him back, he says, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, as you know, Pilate. In which case, Pilate's like, oh, yeah, you're right, because I'm the one with the power and not you. Because Rome is the one who owns you. You guys can't even carry out. You guys can't, don't even have the right to, uh, to carry on your own laws. And so Pilate, he kind of jabs him back, and then he did something that probably irritated them even more. He walks back into his palace knowing that they were too good to follow him in, and he calls Jesus in. And the religious leaders outside, they're probably going crazy. I mean, they're just like, no, this is the worst case scenario. The last thing they want is Jesus to be alone with Pilate because they're going, you know, is Pilate going to be fooled by Jesus too? All right, is Jesus going to go in there and do some of his magic tricks in front of Pilate and Pilate's going to believe? And so Pilate, he sits down 
And he asks Jesus, he says, so, is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus is probably already bleeding, and, you know, it's kind of a pathetic look. And, and Jesus answers, he's like, okay, well, are you asking on your own, or have others told you about me? And Pilate, he's like, are you serious, Jesus? He said, I ain't a Jew, am I? I'm not one of you guys. I don't want to be one of you guys. He says, your own nation, the chief priests, handed you over to me. So my question is, back to my question, what have you done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is like, I am a king. Right, just like you're a ruler, I'm a ruler. Actually, Pilate, I'm the ultimate ruler. Just like you have your kingdom here, I have my kingdom. And my kingdom is so much better, so much bigger. You think you're the authority here? No, no, Pilate, I'm the ultimate authority. And so Pilate, he picks up on this. And he's like, okay, so you are saying that you're a king then. Jesus says, okay, you say that I'm a king? He says, I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. And then Pilate famously says, truth? What is truth? Same question we ask 2,000 years later today. Hard to decipher between what's truth and what's lie, what's, what's true and what's not. He doesn't know what to believe. And so Pilate, does, Pilate doesn't know what to do. Luke tells us that Pilate, he goes back out and he appears before the crowds. And he says, um, I find no grounds for charging this man. I don't think he's done anything wrong, but they kept insisting. He says, no, no, Pilate, you don't understand. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he started even to here. Now, when Pilate hears this word Galilee, which is a region north of Jerusalem, this is music to his ears. He's like, his ears perk up. He's like, Galilee? Jesus, that's where he's from? Okay, that's not my jurisdiction. I don't, that, this isn't my situation. This is King Herod's jurisdiction. And so Pilate sends Jesus to King Herod, who also happens to be in town, all right, because of the big festival that's going on. And Herod, when he receives Jesus, I mean, Herod's pumped. He's been wanting to see Jesus, wanting to talk to Jesus for a long time. He's been wanting to see some of Jesus' magic tricks for a long time. And so he starts peppering Jesus with all these questions. And every question that Herod asks, Jesus refuses to answer. He's not playing their games. And Herod eventually gives up. It's frustrating. And he starts mocking Jesus, and he actually dresses Jesus up as like a king, and then he sends Jesus back to Pilate. Now Jesus is Pilate's problem again. That, that plan didn't work, and the crowd's getting rowdy, and the last thing that he wants is the crowd to turn it into a mob or turn it into an uprising, because if that gets back to Caesar, Pilate's the one who's going to be in trouble. And so Pilate comes up with a plan. He says, he went out to the Jews again, and he told them, he says, hey, here's the deal. I find no grounds for charging him. By the way, you notice the pattern here? All right, over and over and over again, Pilate's like, he didn't do anything wrong. I find no grounds. He says, now, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover festival, which is going on now. He says, so do you want me to release you to the king, or release to you the king of the Jews? Thinking that, of course, they're going to want that. And they start shouting back. They said, no, 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 we don't want this man, but give us Barabbas. And then John tells us, now, Barabbas, he was a revolutionary, meaning Barabbas was well-known. He was a murderer. He had one point led a revolt. And uh, when Pilate hears this and they start yelling out the name Barabbas, I mean, Pilate is shocked. He's like, you can't be serious. And he's sitting on his judgment seat and he's like, he's like, man, I don't know what to do here. And he's trying to think through his options. And this is where Matthew tells us that, that his wife actually sends him a message saying, hey, I just had this like super 
freaky dream, <laughs> Pilate, do not have anything to do with that Jesus guy because uh, he is a good man. Do not have anything to do with sentencing him to death. And so Pilate comes up with another idea. He orders Jesus to be flogged. Now, flogging, I mean, that's just an easy word is we're like, okay, all right, that happened. But uh, this was a horrible, terrible thing. All right, this is, this is one of the worst things. Romans, they like perfected flogging. Uh, they had, is where they would tie, they tied Jesus to like a post. They stripped him naked and they tied him to a post. And then they stepped back, they had this like whip. And on the end of this whip, it had a bunch of different ends, okay? And so when they would, on the, on the ends of the ends, if that makes sense, of the whip, they had pieces of glass, uh, pieces of metal, and like even like fish hooks and stuff. And so what they would do is when they would hit that person or when they hit Jesus, obviously that would hurt a lot. But those hooks and those things would embed into the, into the skin, into the muscle. And then it would also hurt when they ripped it all out. It's just a terrible, horrible thing. Many, many, many people died of flogging. Um, it was known as, as, you know, what common things that would happen is like their, his ribs would have been broken. His lungs would have been punctured. Organs cut open, his bones would be exposed. I was listening to one guy. One guy said that it was not uncommon for ribs to be seen flying through the air as these people are getting flogged. As the soldiers are doing this to Jesus, they're mocking Jesus. This is where they put the crown of thorns on his head. And they hate the Jews. These are Roman dudes, okay? They hate the Jews. And, and so they're mocking like, okay, this is the Jews' pathetic king. And they put a robe on him. And they're making fun of Jesus. And they're bowing down to him saying, hail, king of the Jews, look at him. He's just a bloody mess. In the meantime, Pilate waits. And when the soldiers are done, they bring Jesus back to Pilate. And Pilate went outside again and he said to them, he says, hey, look. I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. And then Jesus came out. He was wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, which I think the religious leaders absolutely hated. Because it's like Rome is, is mocking them because this is their king. And Pilate said to him, and Pilate's pretty proud of himself. He's like, hey, surely this will be enough. And Pilate presents Jesus before the crowd and he says, this is the man. And Jesus steps out. And when the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they all started shouting and chanting over and over again to get the crowd worked up, crucify, crucify, crucify. And Pilate responded, he's like, no, 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 you guys take him and you crucify him yourselves since I find no grounds for charging him. And they said, now, Pilate, we have a law. And according to that law, he, Jesus, ought to die because he made himself the son of of God. He made himself out to be God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid than ever. This is freaking him out. And so he went back into the headquarters and he asked Jesus, he said, okay, Jesus, what's the deal here? All right, you're saying that you're God? Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, he says, are you serious right now, Jesus? Do you refuse to speak to me? Jesus, don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus, don't you know that your life is literally in my hands right now? I can do with you whatever I wish. And Jesus, probably splitting blood, looks at him and says, hey, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above or from me. He says, this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus saying, bro, you think you're a really big deal. 
You think you got this far because of your intellect. You think you got this far because of your hard work. But actually, it's me. Pilate, you think you're the one who's in charge? (laughs) You are just a tiny footnote in the story of me, in my story. You're just a tiny footnote in the story of God rescuing mankind. So from that moment, Pilate, he kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, this is really freaking Pilate out because this is scary. Because what they're saying is they're going to do basically is, hey, if he doesn't execute Jesus, then they are going to accuse Pilate of helping Jesus, who calls himself a king, and they are going to go back to Caesar. And when Caesar hears about this, Pilate's the one who may be on the cross next week. And so Pilate's afraid. And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He knows that they have him. And he sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement. And it was the preparation day for the Passover. And it was about noon, so it was Friday. And then he told the Jews, he said, all right, here's your king. And they shouted, take him away. Take him away and crucify him. Pilate said to him, should I crucify your king? Like, that's what you really want? And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered, which is really blasphemy. It's really the, that's the, that's the thing that they were charging Jesus with. They're like, no, God's not our king. You're not our king. Caesar's our king. And Pilate's afraid. They have forced his hand. And so he gets a bowl of water. Sets it out. He washes his hands in front of the entire mob. And he says, I wash my hands of this. I am innocent of this man's blood. And his blood's on your hands. And they're like, bring it. We'll take his blood. His blood can be on our hands. No problem, Pilate. He says, then he handed him over to be crucified. And then they took Jesus away. It's the worst day in the history of mankind. But it would turn into, it would lead to the best day in the history of the world. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that next weekend during Easter service. And this part of the story, man, it's excruciating. It's, it's, it's rough. If you're a Christian, man, if you're like getting it, like this is sorrowful. This is painful to hear. But it'll lead And this is the part that's going to make it, once we get to next week, the best story ever told. The best news we could ever hear. The joy that comes with this story, which we'll get into next week. Let's pray. God, we, there's nothing else we can do but say thank you for doing what you did 2,000 years ago. Just being able to and telling us about it, just tell, showing us what you went through, all the things that you had to go through to save us. And you did it voluntarily. It's not like we, you owed it to us or we somehow earned it. Nuh-uh. We didn't earn anything. You only did it because for some reason, I don't even understand why, for some reason you love us. Even though we constantly rebel against you and God, we thank you so much for dying for us. 2,000 years ago on that cross. And we thank you so much for all the pain that you had to go through that you did it for us. You didn't have to, but you did because it was the only way. And you chose to do it anyway. And Lord, 
Um, we ask that as we go through this week, especially leading up to Easter, that we would think about this and we think about what happened 2,000 years ago and what you did. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you here next week at Grace.